Well, good morning. It's good to be up here again uh, to uh, share with you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and I want you to open them up to two places. And I'm going to actually have you open to several passages today. But just to be prepared, open up to Matthew chapter 26 and kind of mark it. And then I want you to flip over to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, but Matthew 26 and then Genesis chapter 3. I, uh, about 10 years ago, started Zoe Ministries. <clears throat> and I was, I was praying about uh, what it was that we were going to call that ministry. Uh, the name that the Lord gave me was this word, Zoe. And I can't tell you how many times over the past 10 years, people have come up to me and said, Okay, so what exactly does the word Zoe mean? And I'll explain to him. It's actually just, it's the Greek word for life. And in Scripture, uh, the Greek language is a very colorful language. It, it gives a picture to um, what, is, what the word is referring to. And that's why all the time you'll hear pastors say, well, in the Greek language, it, will, it means this because just like we have the word love, uh, and we say love, you know, you've learned in sermons that there's actually three different words for love in the Greek language, agape, phileo, and eros, and they all mean different things. And it's the same thing for life. And the word actually means the fullness of life that comes in Christ. And our phrase has always been, all that life is intended to be. There is a life that God created for each one of us to have. And it is a life different than the ones that we're all born experiencing. In fact, in the beginning, there was a way that God created Adam and Eve. But because of sin coming to the world, we don't experience the way life that God intended for us. But then there's this, in Scripture, this, there's this truth that once we've surrendered our life to Christ, once we've given him our life and we've been saved, he's, been, he's given us his righteousness, he gives us his spirit, there is a way in which every believer should be living. And it is a life different than what we've known before we knew Christ. In fact, in the Greek lexicon, actually the, the, the correct definition that it uses is it is the supernatural life that believers will have in heaven, but can experience here and now on this earth. And so what I want to talk to you about today is the life that God intends for each one of us to have. And I'm going to take you through Scripture because this is the heartbeat of Scripture. And so we're in Genesis chapter 3, verse—I'm uh, I'm sorry, not Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. So flip back two pages. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 1, of course, is the, is the passage that tells us that in the beginning God created everything— it tells us everything that he created by day. And then, of course, at near the end, on day six, the crown of his creation is mankind. But he speaks to himself, and he says this in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, when the Bible's talking about man being created, 
The Bible's saying that when God came to the part of speaking about what man would be, because if, in, in, by the way, anytime uh, you see in Scripture, in Genesis 1, where he's, whatever he, whenever he creates, he speaks to that, which that thing will get its source. And here, when he begins to create man, he speaks to himself. And of course, our source comes from God. And he says, I w- they are going to be created in my image, in my likeness. We are going to have his nature. Now, there's all kinds of things we know about God. We know that God is eternal. Meaning, guess what? What are we? We are eternal. Ecclesiastes 3.11 even says that God has put eternity into all of our hearts. It's written on all of our hearts that, that we know that there's got to be something more than this. We're eternal. God is a relational God. He is, there's a perfect relational relationship in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God created us for relationships. We are created to know and to be known. But the other part of this, we are creating God's image different than anything else, is when that God created us, he created us with a spirit. In fact, we are primarily spiritual beings. Now that's hard to understand because for us on this earth, what do we mostly see? We see our, our bodies. But even in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, Paul says this right here, this is just an earthly tent. It is temporal. And it is going to be destroyed. And then God is going to give us a heavenly dwelling, a heavenly building that we are going to be clothed with because we are primarily spiritual beings. When, when Jesus was talking in, in John, it says that he was looking for worshipers that would worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. God created us as spiritual beings. Uh, Genesis 2-7, uh, if you want to flip over to that, just flip over to the next page. Um, when he's speaking, in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, in this passage, God is not performing the very first act of CPR. He is not breathing oxygen into this man's lungs. He's talking about him being created. In fact, when they translated the Septuagint, which was the very first uh, book to translate the Hebrew of the Old Testament into the, into the Greek, when it translated, it actually translates it to as God breathing spirit life into man. God breathed his spirit into man. We are creating God's image. We are spiritual beings. And the way that God intended it in the very beginning was that Adam and Eve, they were three in one. They were body, soul, and spirit, creating God's image, three in one. Your body is your flesh. It is made out of dust, and it will return to dust. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you have a spirit, And that is the part of you that God created in his likeness for you to have the ability to have a relationship with him that is eternal. And God created Adam and Eve in the garden with a spirit that was alive. And they are able to talk to God. And they are able to dwell with God. And they are to have a relationship with God. And what was different about them because they were creating God's image is that they were led by their spirit. Their spirit led them. 
And of course, in Genesis 3, when Satan comes and he tempts them to eat of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God had told them, he had warned them, he said, if you eat of this tree, what will happen to you? You will die. Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree, and guess what? They died. Now, you're reading, if you read the story, you're going, no, they didn't. They kept living. They didn't physically die. They spiritually died. And the Bible even goes on to, from that point, in fact, God even says, I've got to remove them from the garden because they're now no longer spiritually alive. They're spiritually dead. And now, instead of being led by their spirit, they're now led by their soul, which means that from this point forward, mankind, what leads us is our emotions, our feelings, our circumstances, whatever we're thinking in here, whatever we're feeling, it doesn't matter what we might believe, whatever we think, that's what leads us, that's what drives us. And so God says, listen, we cannot allow man to stay here and in this condition reach out for the tree of life. And so they're removed from the garden. And so now all of mankind, for all of us are born, all our sinners, we all are born with this condition that instead of being spirit-led the way God intended it in the beginning, we are now soul-led. Now, there's only been one person that has ever walked the face of the earth that was spirit-led, and who is that? Jesus, okay? Flip over in your Bible to Matthew chapter 26, and I want you to see how this played out in Jesus' life. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 37. Matthew 26, 37 through 42. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to, to be arrested. He's about to endure the cross. Jesus knows about what is going to take place. And so right now, his emotions and his feelings, they're, they're all over. I mean, they're going crazy because he knows about what's to take place. But I want you to see how even in this, even when his soul is sorrowful to the point of death, he's still spirit-led. All right? Matthew 26, starting in verse 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, I have never in my life been in a point where I've had my circumstances bring me to the point where my, my soul, what I'm feeling, is so deep, it is so dark, that it's to the point of death. Now, and there, there may be some of you in here that you've been in that point. Maybe it's been a, a, a child or a family member that has died. Maybe there's been something, a betrayal or, 
or an affair or something that has taken place that has that taken you so deep in your soul that your mind is so overwhelmed that you're in so much despair that you're to the point of death. Jesus was about to be whipped. He was about to be, his insides are about to be on his inside, outsides. He was about to be crucified. The sin of the world was going to be upon him. And even in sin, in the God-man, for the very first time, sin being placed upon him, there is going to be this forsaken where he goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All this is about to come on Jesus, and his soul is so heavy that he's saying, God, if there be, and he's known about this for all eternity, but here we're right before it's about to happen, and he doesn't even want to be alone. He's like, can you just stay awake with me? Can you just be to those that have been his best friends on this earth? And yet in this situation, he says, not my will, but your will be done. I'm not being led here by my emotions and my feelings and what my flesh wants. I'm doing what the Spirit wants me to do. And that is what was different about Jesus throughout his entire life is that his entire life, he was always Spirit-led. And even here to his disciples, he says, I know the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I mean, how many times have you ever felt that? My Spirit wants to do something, but my flesh... I always give in to my flesh. My flesh is weak for whatever this temptation is. Whatever my soul's saying, my flesh just follows that, and I, and I succumb to that. I mean, his disciples had just said, Jesus, we will do anything for you. We will go anywhere with you. We will never leave you. And here, just a few hours later, he's saying, this is what I need from you, and, and they can't even keep their eyes open. And the reason why is because they have a condition, and that is this. They were born spiritually dead. In fact, this is even the story that Nicodemus, the Pharisee, comes to Jesus in John chapter 3. Take your Bible, flip over to John chapter 3 real quick. Nicodemus comes to Jesus late at night, and he says, Jesus, how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? And this is what Jesus says in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. See, Nicodemus was a, a religious man. He believed that if he followed the, the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments to a T, that by his good works, that he was going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, the only way that you're going to get to have the kingdom of heaven is if you're born again. And Nicodemus says, well, wait a minute. How, how does an old man be born again? Do I climb back up into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, no. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Your mother gave birth to you. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But you are born with a spirit that is dead. 
And so not only do you have to be born of the flesh, but there has got to be a time in your life where there is a work done by the Holy Spirit where he awakens you to see your sinfulness and you're brought like, here's the spirit meter and it is, you're dead. And the Holy Spirit, just like the Holy Spirit resurrected Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, when you surrender your life to Christ, he comes in and he, there is a new birth and your spirit comes alive. Yes, you're promised eternity, you're promised to heaven, but this is the work that's being done, is that you go from spiritual death to spiritual life. So you now have a spirit that is alive. You're born of the flesh, you're born of the spirit. So now, now that I'm born of the spirit, growing in Christ means that I am learning to no longer be led by my flesh, which I've been led by my entire life, and now I'm being led by the Spirit. In fact, I want you to know, it does not matter how many years you've been a Christian, your flesh does not get better. In fact, I just want you to know, the older you get, your flesh gets worse. Because life is hard, different things have happened, people have betrayed you, people have hurt you, things have taken place, and so listen to me, you do not, your flesh does not get better. Your flesh gets worse. That's why there's such a thing as grumpy old men. Because you don't get better. It doesn't matter how many times you walk in these doors. It doesn't matter how many Bible studies you go to. Listen to me. Your flesh, you, will never be better. And that's so hard because we live in a world where we think, oh, we're, we're good. We listen to all this self-help stuff of how I can make myself better. And, and nothing you can do can make that better. In fact, discipleship is not about making your flesh better. Discipleship about is learning the Word of God, trusting Him, and learning not to walk according to the flesh the way I always have, but it is now to walk according to the Spirit. In fact, one of our favorite verses that we all learned at some point in our life was Hebrews 4.12, which says what? The Word of God is what? Sharper than any two-edged sword, able to, to, to separate or pierce through what? Soul and spirit. See, as I begin to know the Word, as I begin to hide God's Word in my heart, what the Word begins to do is it begins to separate the soul from the spirit. That I'm learning to walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. See, it's, the, it, it's Romans 12, 2 that says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, and you can write this down. You've got your notes there, and I put this in your notes. Here's, here's the good news, okay? The good news is this. When you're saved, Jesus saves you from your sin, and he promises you eternal life, and he gives you the Holy Spirit. That's the good news, and that should be up on the screen for you, Okay? The good news is that he saves us from our sin, we get eternal life, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. But here's the bad news. The bad news was, before you were saved, you have lived every second of your life being ruled and controlled by your soul. Every moment in your life up to this point has been led by your emotions and your will. 
And so now that I'm in Christ, that's why someone that can be saved can still live like the world and still live like hell because they're still led by their soul rather than learning and growing and now walking in the Spirit because God never intended you to live the Christian life walking in the flesh. That's why you can try so hard and be like, why do I keep blowing it? And you even get to the point of going, I I'm ready to give up on this because no matter how hard I try, even when I want to do it the way I want to do it, it doesn't work out that way. And listen to me, God did not intend you to live that way. In fact, the whole reason why he gave us the Spirit was what? To lead us into all truth, to be our counselor, to give us power, to live this life. And the only way I can do it is by living a Spirit-filled or Spirit-centered life. And, and I cannot tell you how many times in my life where I've been there where I feel like, man, my Spirit desires this. There's this Spirit, the Holy Spirit's in me, and I desire to do these things, but why can I not live them out? And that's what we're going to talk about today. All right? So I want you to write this down. Number one is this. Okay? How, how in the world do we do this that God intended us, the life that God intended us to have? And so I want you to write this down. Number one, understand the corrupt and unchangeable sinful nature. Okay? First, understand the corrupt and unchangeable nature. And the reason why I put that down is there is a part of us that cannot be improved. It cannot be discipled. It cannot be taught. It's our flesh. It is our sinful nature. All right? Now, what I want to do is I want to read some lengthy passages, but stay with me. In fact, take your Bible and, and flip over to Romans chapter 7. And this week, what I would like you to do is read Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8 again. And just like I did last week, I, I, wrote, I read one passage from the message. Just the first part, I want to read to you from the message. But that's why I'm saying go back and read in your Bible Romans chapter 7. And then I'm going to read Romans chapter 8 from uh, the English Standard Version. But I just want you, I want us to be able to feel like this is me. This is how I talk. This is how I reason. I just want you to hear, and this is Paul. Again, he was a Pharisee before he became a believer in Christ. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse, in verse 14. And I want you to have your Bible there, but I, but I have it up on the screen for you because I'm going to read from the message. This is Paul speaking. He says, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all of God's commands are spiritual, but I am not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but I still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best in intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions, 
Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Is there anybody here that relates to what I'm reading right now? Okay? If you're not raising your hand, you're still playing church because this is the reality of every single one of us. And this is Paul. By the way, a Pharisee, to become a Pharisee, had to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This is a man that is considered the greatest Christian to ever live. He's written a third of the New Testament, and this is him. So none of us are better than him. All right? Verse 21, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. Where I want to serve God with all my heart and all my mind, I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Again, there is a part that lives with you 24 hours a day, and he is a bad man. He is a bad dude, and he will always rebel against you and what your spirit longs to do. And he will sabotage every intention of you. And this is what Paul is saying. What, where, where, where am I supposed to do? You know, if you've read it in, your, in, in, in the NIV or the ESV, that's where Paul's saying, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, these are the things I keep on doing. And he says, there's this law of sin that is at work within my body. So how do I, how do, I do this? How, how do I faith, you know, where, where Paul in Scripture says, man, I am in this war and it's, my flesh rages against me. How do I do it? And I want you to see the answer that God gives us is the Holy Spirit, right? The answer is the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to do is we're going to keep reading. Remember, back in the day, there wasn't chapter 7, there wasn't chapter 8, there wasn't verses. Paul is just going to keep talking. He's saying, this is my problem. Here's the answer. But write this down. Number two, understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life. Understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I am going to read 16 verses, and the word Spirit is going to be there 15 times. Because this is the answer to our problem. Starting in verse 1. After he said all this, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because God knows our condition. Once we receive Christ into our life, the Bible says, we saw this last week in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that we receive his righteousness that covers us, that when Christ died on the cross, there's this um, shedding of his blood 
But all the way through Scripture, just as in the Old Testament, they'd use the blood of a, a lamb or a goat to cover their sins, that if we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God takes the righteousness of Jesus and he places it over us. It's blood that covers us. So our standing before God has nothing to do with our actions. It's our standing. We stand before him, and we have the blood of Jesus that covers us. So there's no condemnation. But then he goes on to say, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. It was fulfilled in us because of Jesus, who walk, because, if we're in Christ now, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If we're in Christ, we are now supposed to not walk according to the flesh the way we always have. We're now to walk differently. We've changed our mind about the way we think. We're not going to live that way. We're living according to Spirit. Verse 5, and I encourage you to underline this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. In fact, you can just write down there Colossians chapter 1. I'm sorry, not Colossians chapter 1. It's Colossians chapter 3. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly to you. And he goes on to explain sexual immorality, impurity, all those things. Okay? If I'm in Christ, my mind is set on something different. It's no longer set on the flesh. It is now set on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if you're wondering, how do I know if the Spirit of God dwells in me? He goes on to say, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That is a promise. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but if you receive the spirit of adoption, as sons by whom we cry, Abba, which means Daddy, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Real quick, flip over into your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Paul's saying, I, there is an evil man that is living in me. I am trapped. 
what can I do? And my entire life, listen, we all have two choices. These are the two choices you got. Live by the flesh, live by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says, If you live by the flesh, there's a promise of death. If you live by the Spirit, there's a promise of life. Okay? I'm going to show you how you do that here in a second. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Now, I want you to see that this is the theme throughout Scripture. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This is what he was saying back in Romans chapter 7. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, they are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. In fact, if you have your Bible there, I just sit right beside that, sexual problems. Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery. Those are spiritual problems. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, emotional problems, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, which are substance problems. These are all the problems we deal with. And listen, whatever your past is, whatever you've experienced, whatever things that have happened to you, whatever doors that were open to, to evil appetites that God did not create for you to have, that right there, because of the things in our past, all of us in this list, whether it's sexual problems, spiritual problems, emotional problems, relational problems, substance problems, when your flesh is alive, you can look in there and you know the category. Like I can look and I go, I know in my life because of things in my past, when my flesh is alive and when I'm not walking in the Spirit, this is where I struggle. And there's some in here that I don't, because that, those things were not the things that have happened in my past. But all of us, these are the works of the flesh. And all these things right here, they promise to bring death to my life. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, because they're walking according to the flesh. They must not have the Spirit in them. Verse 22, opposite of everything we just read, Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, when I'm in the Spirit, when I'm walking, in the, when the Spirit is leading me, it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I want you to know this is, in the Greek, the word fruit there is singular. It's one fruit. You don't just have kindness so you might go, well, you know, that person is kind of a, a kind personality. No, the fruit of the Spirit is everything we just read right there. We only have two choices. Live according to the flesh. Live according to the Spirit. And Paul's saying, listen, do not gratify the flesh. Walk according to the Spirit. You've got to believe, you've got to hear this. This is what, one of the main things I want you to hear today. You are not a good person. You're not. You know, I watch the news, 
and they'll be talking about something going on, and someone's done something very horrible, and the first thing they'll say is, I, I just can't understand how a person can do such a thing. And you know what? I sit there and I go, you know what? Under the wrong circumstances, under the wrong situations, under the wrong influences, I could do the exact same thing. Why? Because I have an evil, corrupt, unchangeable flesh, sinful nature, wicked, that is depraved, that is in itself nature, an object of wrath, an enemy of God. That's all of us. And so you got to understand, and, and that's the pro problem for us is we think we're good, so we think we can do this on our own. And growing in Christ is learning how good he is and realizing if I'm going to do this, I cannot live in the flesh. I've got to walk in the Spirit. Write this down, number three. How do I do this? I have to crucify the flesh and yield to the control of the Holy Spirit. I have to crucify the flesh and yield to the control of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I was in Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to just keep reading verses 24 and 25. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, I have this flesh. I have this sin problem. And the Bible says it is not something that I mess around with. I've got to crucify it. I don't just tickle it. I don't just try to, it's, it's not like this unruly passenger in the seat of my car and I say, God, I need you to help me with this, but I kind of have sympathy for it and I kind of like it. It's realizing that I've got something in the car with me that is going to try to grab the steering wheel and run me off the road to my death. And I don't want it in the car with me. And so I say, God, I need you to help me. I, I crucify, and what is that? Crucifixion was a, a form of death. We all know that Jesus died on the cross, but the way in which the person on the cross ultimately died was through suffocation. See, I've got to literally suffocate the flesh. I cannot feed it. I cannot give it what it wants because it's always going to want more. And it's going to devour me. And so I've got to suffocate it. It's like if you have a little candle and, and, it, and it's burning. What do you have to do? You've got to take out the oxygen supply. So what happens to that flame? It goes out. I've got to suffocate the flesh in my life. I cannot feed its appetite. At the same time in my life, I am feeding and listening to the Holy Spirit I'm, that, that's why I'm in the Word. That's why that I listen to worship music. I'm listening to truth. Because what I'm doing is I'm fanning the flame of the Spirit. You guys know what a little, those, I don't even know what they're called. Those things that you fan a flame. and it, What's it called? Bellows. Okay? And I want the Spirit to be big, and I want to suffocate the flesh. I've got to crucify the flesh every single day. And then yield to the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that is the only difference between Pastor Phil and you. Because, and I've known him my entire life, he has a wicked, evil, stubborn, arrogant flesh. 
and so do you. And what's different about him is he, in his humility, has realized God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, is that if he doesn't get before the Lord daily and crucify that flesh and yield to the Spirit, he's going to be no good to the Lord and he's going to be no good to us. And that's the simple difference. Because his flesh has not changed these 61 years. In fact, he would even agree it's gotten worse because that's what happens in life. When you think you can get up and not do anything about your flesh, you still don't believe it's that evil. So, so how do you do this, okay? Really simple, write this down. And I even put, like in your notes there, I, I put that, to be spirit-centered means you understand you have an evil man in you and you can't make him better. You crucify him and you allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life, to work in your life. And what I want to do is practically show you how this plays out. Okay, on a daily basis, and this is going to sound familiar to you because it's not new, you have to submit yourself to God. On a daily basis, you have to submit yourself to God. And what does that mean, submit myself to God? I've got to submit myself to his word. In Ephesians 5, when it's talking about the bride and how husbands are to love their wives and wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, it says in Hebrews 5, verses 25 and 26, it says that, that, that he washes them by the water of his word. See, the way that my mind is renewed the way that it's washed, the way that it's cleaned, the way that it begins to be saved or be made whole is it's through this right here. See, I can't submit to something that I do not know. And this is God's word. This is God's truth. And to say I'm going to submit to God means I'm submitting to this. And you cannot submit to something you don't know. That's why we teach the word of God. And I gave you a verse there because I'm going to show you here in a second. You need to know these so you can pray them. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay? Number two, I surrender to the presence of the Holy Spirit. I surrender to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, there's the promise there. If you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to be gratifying the desires of the flesh. And remember, we don't want to walk by the flesh because it's going to end destruction. So the promise is if you're walking by the Spirit, you're going to be, you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit. You don't have to worry about, you're not going to be gratifying the desires of the flesh. And every single day you settle the issue of whose you are. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20 says, Or don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And Romans 6, 11 says, So also you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, I don't believe that Jesus woke up every single morning and went off to a lonely place to check off his list, I had a quiet time today. And yes, he was spirit-led in everything that he did, but he was modeling something for us. 
because he knew all the demands that were going to take place. And the way that he modeled it was that everything he did, he was led by the Holy Spirit. And so this is what I'm learning in my life. Growing in Christ, learning to walk in the Spirit, developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit is this, is every single day when I go to meet with the Lord and I get in his word, what I'm doing is I'm saying, Father, I submit myself to you and to your word. I am not going to think by my emotions today, by my feelings. Holy Spirit, I need you to lead me into all truth. So I submit myself to you. And Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. I want to be controlled by you. I don't want to be controlled by my emotions. I crucify the flesh. Today, I do not want to to even give anything to my flesh in any way. Holy Spirit, would you lead me in how to do this? But I yield to you. I am yours. Empower me to treat people the way they need to be treated, to love the way that I need to love, to give the way that I need to give. I am yours today. And I settle the issue today. I am not my own. I am bought with the price. It is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're indwelling in me. And so I walk as you want me to walk. I am yours. And so I reckon myself dead to sin, and I am alive in you. See, what I've just done is I've just prayed four verses that I gave you. And how often do I do that? Every day, all day. When I'm driving in my car, when something in my flesh, when a, when a thought of bitterness pops up, or a lustful thought, or a prideful thought, or or whatever, or I'm having a discussion with my wife, and she's saying something that I don't agree with, and so I want to argue my side as those things. Growing is learning to listen to the Spirit quicker and quicker and yield to the Spirit faster and faster because guess what? My flesh doesn't ever change. And the great thing is that there's going to be a day when we're going to be in heaven where we no longer have to contend with the flesh, where we're just, it's just going to be the Spirit. But on this earth, there is a way that God intended each of us to live. And he did not intend you to live this life in the flesh. And if you're thinking the Christian life is impossible, it is. And the reason why it feels impossible is because you're still living in the flesh. It's learning to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit and to allow him to give you the power to live this life. And if you're wondering, am I spirit-centered? Am I spirit-filled? All you gotta do is go to the fruit of the Spirit and say, is my life defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness? And by the word, the word gentleness is the, in the Greek the same word as meekness. And this last week, we're, even as Zoe were doing this study on blessed are the meek, okay? Because they're the ones that inherit the earth. And the word inherit means dominion in the Greek. And the word earth, okay, what were we formed from? The earth. Blessed are the meek, for they are the ones that have dominion over their flesh. I believe there's a spiritual, he's speaking something spiritual there. Those that are controlled by the Holy Spirit are able to have control over their flesh because it's the Spirit that rules, not their flesh. This right here is all through Scripture. 
And we've got so many Christians that are thinking, if I just live according to the flesh, I'm going to make it. And you can't. You can't. You have to yield to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. And right now, whether it's on your knees or just there in your chair, and you've got that outline right there with those three things, I, I, I challenge you, I encourage you to make this be the first day that that becomes a part of your prayer. Do you begin to be mindful that submit yourself to God and then surrender to His Holy Spirit. And just do that right now in your heart. Heavenly Father, we belong to you. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You indwell us. But your plan for us to live this life, to have a full and abundant life, is to live a life that is controlled by you. And so we've got to know your word so that we can submit to it and so that it will transform the way we think. Because we do not want to have minds controlled by the flesh, but minds that are controlled by the Spirit. So we submit to you, and we resist the temptations of the devil, and we thank you that you have the promise that he will flee from us. And we walk according to the Spirit today, and we suffocate and crucify the desires of the flesh. We love you. And would you continue to lead us into all truth? So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I have two questions to ask you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23. Paul wrote concerning the Lord's Supper, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we take the Lord's Supper, it says, as often as we do it, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. Why did Jesus need to die for you. Bill has talked about it throughout the message because all of us were dead in our sins. 
God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, John 4. Ephesians 2, before you came to Christ, you were dead in your sin. Most of you laughed when Philip said, Pastor Phil, apart from Christ, is an evil blank, 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 and they were all bad words, and you laughed like you were surprised. And then he said, and so are, and none of you laughed. That's what you're doing this morning when you take the Lord's Supper. You're proclaiming that apart from Christ, you are dead. Second question. Look at that next verse. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. What is an unworthy manner? That's the second question. Because it's severe, the consequences, if you drink it in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Who are those that are unworthy? Those who are spiritually dead. So it's most important as the scripture goes on, look at verse 28, but let a man examine himself. And what are you examining? Am I spiritually dead? Or am I spiritually alive? Ephesians 2 goes on and after it says, we're dead in our sin, we're disobedient, we're depraved, we're objects of wrath, but... God, who was rich in mercy, gave us Christ that we may be made alive in Christ. Many of you have asked me, what are you writing this book on? This is what I'm writing this book on. Because I've spent 42 years as a minister preaching to churches, churches, churches that are filled with dead people spiritually. They have no hunger for the word of God. They have no heart to give or forgive because you got to have the aliveness of God to have a hunger for God. you got to have the power of God to seek him You've got to have the power of God to forgive and give and share Jesus and worship and all these things and serve and be kind and tender-hearted and be servant-hearted instead of selfish. And churches are filled with people that have, quote, quote, prayed the prayer and been baptized and even membership and serve. But if you look at the fruit, How do you know if I go to the hospital and I passed out? Years ago, I passed out. Ronnie thought I had died. 
I came to and they took me to the hospital and the first thing they did was what? Check my, even though they could see it, I was talking at this time, they checked my what? Heartbeat. And they did tests for the next 10 hours. I kept telling them, I'm fine. I don't want to be here. And they said, yeah, you fell like a tree. You're not fine. Before we take the Lord's Supper, let's just bow our heads, just you and God. This morning, God could have not spoken through Philip more clearly. Are you spiritually dead? Or are you spiritually alive? And sweeties, I ask that question with all of the love of Jesus in me that I've been your pastor for 19 years. Some of you, over 21 years. You don't have to be afraid of that question. Phil read, these are the acts of the sinful nature. This is the fruit of the Spirit. What do you have? Don't say, well, I prayed the prayer, Pastor, even with you. I'm asking you, are you spiritually alive or are you spiritually dead? If you're spiritually dead, do not take the Lord's Supper. If you're spiritually dead, by grace you are saved through faith. It is a gift. If today you've realized, I am spiritually dead. I live by the flesh. I try as hard as I can to do better. But the flesh is bad. It cannot improve. And Jesus would say to you in his perfect love and kindness and mercy, you must be born again. You must. Examine yourself. If you need to be born again, humble yourself before God.
submit yourself to God. Surrender your life to God. That's called repentance. I don't just ask God to forgive me. I change my mind about sinfulness because God has opened my eyes to see my spiritual deadness before him, a holy God. And with all your heart, pray, oh God, I am ruined. I am undone. I am dead in my spirit. I need your mercy, oh God. Apart from your grace, I am lost and face eternity separated from you. I need your grace. I trust Jesus Christ's death on the cross for the payment of all my sins. I repent. I will no longer try to do better I will die to my sinful nature. I turn from it. There is nothing good in it. I will no longer defend it, justify it, disguise it, try to dress it up. I die. By your promise and grace, I receive your Holy Spirit by faith. The person of the Holy Spirit to come into my life and control my life. Capture my life. Fill my life. I no longer walk by the flesh but by your presence and your power, moment by moment. And I praise you for new life in Jesus Christ. Father, I praise you for forgiveness and cleansing of sin. I praise you for beginning a new work in my life. And that new life is I walk by your presence in your power to glorify your name to honor to obey you I praise you for becoming a new creation in Jesus today in Jesus name I pray amen
If you just made that your prayer, I welcome you to the family of God. One last word and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. Do not let the enemy deceive you today that you say to yourself, well, I just rededicated my life to Christ. That word, never, never, never appears in Scripture. I know many of you were raised just like me, hearing it all the time. You need to rededicate your life. You do not rededicate your old sinful nature. You can't make it better. You die. That Christ can live. Amen. Do you see that holy privilege? Don't try to be better. Let Christ be his best in you to the hope of glory. Praise team and you men that are serving, would you come at this time? If you have not been born of the Spirit, let me say this one more time. As the plate is passed by you, just let it pass by. Because we read in Scripture the seriousness of taking the Lord's Supper when you're spiritually dead. God loves you, and He wants you to receive His grace but do not take it simply because you've been baptized or you're a member of a church. You know if you're spiritually dead or spiritually alive. As you take this bread, Jesus is saying, the reason I died is you must be made spiritually alive. He gave his life that when we become spiritually alive, what do we do? With all our heart, we give our life to him as a sacrifice because he first gave himself as a dying sacrifice. Serve our people. Drown and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, 
when fears are still and striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. alone who took on flesh a fullness of God in helpless babe this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live There in the ground his body lay Light of the world by darkness slain Then bursting forth in glorious day Oh, up from the grave he rose again And as he stands in victory Since curse is lost his grip on me For I am his and he is mine, I'm by with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. bread we're about to partake represents the body of Jesus he gave. What you're saying is I take that, just take your hands and put them like this. You're saying I give my life to Christ. Fresh and new, I give my life to Christ. I give my life to Christ. He was a dying sacrifice. I am to be a living sacrifice. That's my reasonable worship to him daily.
take and eat. And what a holy privilege, amen? If I had 10 zillion lives, by the grace of God, I'd live every moment for Jesus, amen? This is a good thing. This is a glorious thing. And now as we take the cup, it represents blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus gave his blood, his life, that we could have life and abundant life in him. Serve our people. Have been my ransom. 
Wounds have paid my ransom. 